incredible truth in that little song though. Repentance is my truest phrase. You know, we can praise the Lord with our lips. We can praise him by doing things for him. We can show his worth and, and worship him in all kinds of ways. But what God desires most from us is, and I believe that this truly is uh, probably the greatest thought of Christianity, is that when, when we see and, and believe that God is who he says he is, so that we repent of our sin, turn back toward him, and choose to follow him and obey him, then we truly, from the deepest part of our being, have confessed his worth and put on display that it really is worth it to turn my life over to him and to change. It's one thing to say it, right? It's another thing to put your life on the line and turn it over to the Lord. We're finishing up this series in Malachi. Uh, we've been in Malachi for seven weeks and this series has coincided with our growth group study on uh, culture and uh, the idea that we as a church and are called to live differently than where our culture is. And in fact, what we've really looked at is, is five specific issues in our growth groups on where, where culture stands today, where our culture uh, declares truth, and compared that against what the Bible says. And we've kind of paralleled that in some of our studies on Malachi, but the focus on Malachi has really been God's calling his people back to him. And there's been six issues up to this point. And I want to use this to, to kind of highlight things because ultimately, when we walk out these doors, we face a world that, that challenges us in all kinds of different ways. We face a world that challenges our faith. Social media now, you will often find people mocking God, they will mock Christians. That challenges our faith. Uh, there's philosophy out there that challenges our faith. Some would argue that many of our public school systems, a lot of what's being taught or at least pressed in our public school system challenges our faith. I personally live with someone who works in the, in the uh, public school system, my wife, who's a school counselor, who pushes back. And I know many godly teachers who push back against that and, and, and love children and, and, and want them to continue to, to walk in, in a relationship with the Lord. And so they push back against some of those things. But, but our culture is pressing in uh, on our, our, our schools and, and in some places on our churches, our denominations and all of our systems to force us to accept or even support things that are clearly outside of the word of God. I don't have to detail those and list those for you. You know there's so many of them where, where God's truth is, is simply under attack. But that's not new. If you think that, that it's unique to our culture, you have not read the book of Judges or the book of Genesis or the book of Exodus. All the way from the very beginning when man sinned against God, there have been times where the people of God were the minority who simply had to take a stand. A great example of that came out of your growth group lessons today for Daniel. You can also find that with his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You all know that story. Uh, these guys simply for confessing God or for praying at the wrong time were, were forced by their culture into prison, were killed, were, were threatened. And so 
though we think we live in, a, in an adverse culture, it's not new. It's happened before. It'll happen again. It'll get worse, and then it'll get better. These things tend to be cyclical. So how do we address that? What do we do in the midst of that? And in, in the book of Malachi, God's call essentially was for his people, which in our times would equate to his church, to keep our focus. One of the first things that, I just want to walk through these first six things that we've talked about, the, uh, the, uh, the seven, seven things that we need to focus on. The first one is don't lose your first love. The very beginning, the first few verses of Malachi, God calls his people to remember his incredible love for them. Regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what's going on in the, the world around us, you know, right now there's fear of rapid inflation. I, I saw another news story today about more cargo ships that are piling up outside of the ports. And, and you know, we're not going to be able to get our toys for Christmas. And, and you know, there's news stories about you're not, not going to be able to get our sweet potatoes and, you know, whatever for Thanksgiving. You know, there's all kinds of worry. And, and it just seems like, especially for the last few years, we've just been bombarded with various things in the news cycles that call us to worry all of those are distractions from our first love. Regardless of what else is going on out there in the world, we need to remember God's love for us. And the best way to do that, and, and when, we've, when, when I or, or Susan and I have faced some of the most difficult trials in our life, when we lost our daughter, one of the things that I always look back to was the cross. When I don't feel like God loves me, all I have to do is look to the cross because he settled it that day. He said, you want to know how much I love you? In fact, Romans 5, 8 says he demonstrated his love toward us while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Remember his love. Second, worship him wholeheartedly. God called out his people because they had begun to take their, their worship with a half heart. They, they just simply were not serious about their worship. Can we truly say that when we come into the presence of a holy God, we worship him with all of our heart? Or we have to confess that there's times when maybe we're tired or we don't feel good or we're distracted by the world or we're upset or we've got other things on our mind that we just come into a place of worship and half-heartedly express worship. Third, Remain faithful to our covenants. God called his people out for their unfaithfulness to the covenant that they made with him as, a, as his people to serve and to love one another. But also, he used as an example the unfaithfulness that was displayed in their marriages. And, and you see that in the church today. You see a, a lack of respect for the covenant that members make before God with other fellow believers. Uh, you can read historically where, where, where this has also gone through highs and lows. But if someone comes to, to this local church, First Baptist Watauga, and they say, I believe God has called me here to unite with this fellowship, to join in with this body of believers and serve him here. That's a covenant because they're not saying that it's just, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. They're saying they believe God's called me here. Well, if God has called you to something, you cannot take it lightly. It's the same thing with our marriages. And yet... In, in many of our churches, divorce is just as rampant as it is outside of the church because we don't take our commitment to Christ, our covenants, seriously. That's Malachi chapter 3. And then later in Malachi chapter 3, he says, you, you, you need to take your 
your commitment to be a steward of my things seriously. In fact, he, he talks to his people there in, in, in Malachi about, uh, he said, you're robbing me. And they said, what do you mean we're robbing you? He said, well, I've told you up front that everything that you own belongs to me. Uh, but I, I've asked that you bring that first tenth back to the storehouse. And so if you're not even doing that, you're not taking your commitment to be a steward of all that God has blessed you with seriously. And I won't get into that, that whole message again, but, but if we'll do that, God will be able to uh, bless us. He also says that we need to be prepared to accept his correction. See, what we love to do in the church is we like to point out everything that's wrong in society. We can sit here all day long and wail about what's going on outside these walls, but what God says is you need to look at your own heart. You need to take care of business in your own house. And when I come, he tells us there in, in Malachi 3, when I come, I'm going to come as a refiner's fire, and I'm going to purify my people first. And we have to be willing to accept that purifying fire that God brings to our hearts and repent. And then finally, last week we talked about how God has called us to live in humility, because there comes a point where we begin to look around and say, you know what, it's really not even worth serving God. That's what God's people were saying, and God called them out on it. He, he said, you have said it's useless to serve me. It doesn't do you any good. Well, folks, it's not about you. It's about him. Our worship should be about him. Our lives should be serving him. Our sacrifice, our stewardship should be about him. Our commitment should be about serving the God who is worthy of our worship. It should be about him. And we come to the final passage in Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. And this is where I simply want to kind of use this as a day to bring it all together and summarize things. That's why I started the way I did. Because with all of that going on, we need to keep the main thing in focus. We need to not let all of those other things that are around us distract us, but let our focus be centered solely on God. So as you come to what is somewhat of a prologue of Malachi, especially the last four verses, most commentators will, will see uh, verses one through three kind of as the end or a connector uh, back to the, the sixth oracle uh, that ends at the end of chapter three in our English Bibles. And then verses four through six is kind of a, a final warning, two different paragraphs there. Our focus is going to be on the last one, but, but let's read beginning in verse one. This overlaps with last week's reading. The scripture says in Malachi 4.1, for look, the day is coming burning like a furnace when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Remember the instructions of Moses, my servant, and the statutes and ordinances I have commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse." The, the first three verses here we looked at last week, and yet, as I said, there's kind of a connector because the Lord is declaring to us, I will come. 
I, I will come. And in fact, there's a, a lot of struggle in Malachi because there's two different times at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, and then here at the beginning of chapter 4, where this idea of a prophet, a messenger who is to come, and he's going to bring the Lord's message. He's going to prepare the way. There's a lot of discussion about who, who is that guy, and yet most scholars believe, most Christians believe that the, the figure of the messenger in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 represented John the Baptist. And in fact, the New Testament itself says so. The New Testament says that, that John the Baptist was, had come to prepare the way of the Lord. Looking back to Malachi 3.1, he had come to prepare the way of the Lord. And so Malachi 3, I believe, is a prophecy of John the Baptist coming before Jesus' first coming. We talked about that a little bit back when we looked at Malachi chapter 3. But that scripture clearly, the New Testament clearly points to the, the one who came to prepare the way, quoting from Malachi 3.1 as uh, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist came as a forerunner of Christ to prepare the way with a declaration of a call to repentance. Now the Lord tells us now that a figure of Elijah is going to come again. Another figure of Elijah is going to come in verse 5. This represents the end times. And so ultimately, Malachi's prediction was at least twofold. Some scholars would argue he was also dealing with some issues right there at their time, 400 years BC. But ultimately, in these two predictions, in Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, you see Malachi declaring the Lord's first coming and the forerunner, John the Baptist, who was coming before the first appearance of Christ when Jesus came. And we know the stories through the gospel, born of the Virgin Mary and, and died on a cross and rose again. But this passage is most likely pointing toward the end times where there will also be another forerunner under the image of Elijah, under the, the identity of Elijah coming again to set the stage for the final judgment of Christ or the final return of Christ. So divide, though, that, that gets real confusing and I don't want to oversimplify the text, but let me simplify it for, for the sake of the message. Because with all of that going on there, Malachi has, has predicted the, the, the coming of the Messiah. He's predicted the return of Christ as Lord at his final judgment. And that's what we see here. But in that, he gives us some instruction. I'll, beginning in verse 4. Before I get there, one last thing from last week's message, though. My wife was a little bit disappointed in me. Because... There's a, there's a description in verse 2 of the calves who would come out of the stalls and they would kick and they would frolic around is, the, is kind of the word that's used there. And see, we had just been out on the deer lease where she watched about 100 calves. And she said, you know, those calves really are an image of the joy that God can give us. Said, you know, the old cows will just stare at you. And drool coming out of their mouth. But when you, when you come by them on the four-wheeler or the ATV, the calves are jumping and they're kicking and they're running around and they're having a great time. Susan said, what a great picture of what that final day is going to be like for us as believers. A day of rejoicing and a, a day of excitement with no worries. That's, that's the picture of that final day for us. But where's our focus need to be? Look at verse 4. He gives us the, the first command here. Remember. 
the instruction. How are we going to keep our focus? How are we going to keep the main thing the main thing? Remember, he tells them, the instructions of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. I want to give you two things here to focus on when you remember. First, remember his word. Keep your focus on his word, his direction, his commands. If you want to get confused by this culture, if you want to get led astray, devalue God's word. When we begin to let philosophy, even theologians, with, with all kinds of doctrine that, that's puffed up, try to explain away the clear, inerrant word of God, we set ourselves up for failure. You'll hear from my lips oftentimes Okay, but what does God's word say? If somebody starts a sentence like this, well, I know God's word says, but you've already lost me. If you will say, hey, this is what God's word says, and I don't understand it, or I interpret, different, uh, I interpret it different from you, let's sit down and look at God's word together and, and come to an agreement, because I believe that you and I can sit down in, in, with some issues that are really important that, that, to, to us, we can sit down and look at God's word and come to a different understanding. That's okay, because both of us are beginning with God's word. And maybe we have a little bit of a, dis a disagreement or misunderstanding on how to interpret a passage. That is wholly different than where our culture is today. Our culture today and many of our churches today are in this place. Well, I know that's what God's word says, but if that's your beginning point, you are in trouble. So remember his word Remember his direction. Remember his instruction. His word that he has, has preserved for us and over the centuries, over the millennia, has, is, is a beautiful, incredible picture of the faithfulness of God to preserve his instruction for us. In particular, when I, when I did my studies in, in New Testament textual criticism, the the, the the beauty of the preservation of the word of God and, and what we have in our hands today is, is absolutely incredible. We have God's teaching for us and if we will just simply go there and remember it and hold on to it, that'll give us the foundation for moving forward. But he took them back to Mount Horeb and I, I, there's a reason for that. That's where they received his instruction but it was also a reminder of his love. The Ten Commandments were not giving to, uh, given to his people as harsh rules, so to speak. The Ten Commandments, uh, uh, there's a book by Rob Mel called The Tender Commandments. And he argues that the Ten Commandments were an expression of God's love for his people. 
And I believe that. When you read in context the book of Exodus, and God says, I will deliver you on eagles' wings. You will be my people, and I will be your God. God desires a relationship with his people, and it's in that context that he gives them these commandments because he knows if they will follow those commandments, that'll lay the foundation for them to live fruitful, meaningful, healthy lives with healthy relationships. You want to mess up your relationship with God? Don't honor him. Make a bunch of graven images. Go build your golden calves. It's going to get you in trouble. Don't do it. If you want to sum up the first four of the Ten Commandments, there you go. Worship him, him alone. Don't make images out of, out of, out of stuff and worship created things. Worship the creator. You want to know how to not mess up your relationships with people? Don't steal from them. Don't cheat on your wives. Don't kill people. Those things will get you in trouble. They're not that complicated, right? It's not like he's up there with his checklist and he's going to zap us for breaking the rules. He gave those to his people as guidelines because he loves us. Remember the time of my deliverance. Remember when I delivered you because I loved you. And remember the instruction I gave you. If we would simply now, as a New Testament church... If we would just look back to God's word, even if all we did was focus on the narrative of the cross, if all we did every Sunday was come in here and, and focus on the fact that Jesus died on a cross so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. Jesus was buried in a broad tomb. Jesus rose again three days later and he promised he would come again. If that's all you heard every Sunday for the rest of your life, that should be enough. God's, the, the simple truth of the word of God, the God of his gospel should be enough to, to guide us in our walk with him. Remember God's instruction. And then verse five he says, look, I'm going to send you a prophet. Keep your eyes open for the one that's coming. Now, for those who were listening to Malachi, the first expression of his coming was the coming of the Messiah. It was Jesus' appearance on earth. We've already seen that. We can look back to Jesus' appearance on earth. And so as we interpret this for our time, and certainly in the context here in Malachi chapter 4, he was talking about a final return. God's going to come. Remember just in last week's message, the, the people had asked the question, is, is it even worth it to serve God? It just seems like I serve God and I don't get anything out of it. And even the wicked are over here prospering and I'm not getting anything. That's not fair. God says, keep your eyes on the horizon because I'm coming. I'm coming back. When I come back, I'm going to settle all of those accounts. He said in our text last week, in verse 3, the wicked are going to be trampled. The righteous are going to be lifted up. God's going to take care of all of those issues. Look for the coming of the Messiah. Keep your eyes open to him. But remember that this, this forerunner, just as in John the Baptist days, called for repentance. He called for us to have our hearts prepared for the coming of Christ. So as we look and we, 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 we anticipate the coming of our Lord, we also anticipate with a repentant heart that we are prepared for his return. And then finally, let's just trust him. Let's just trust him. Trust his judgment. Is God smarter than me? 
yeah. God's, God's wisdom is far beyond ours. His knowledge is far beyond ours. He created us. Can we trust him to do what is right? Yes. Trusting. Why is that important? Because when we walk out the doors of the church where we focus on God's word and we sing the songs and we elevate our spirits to look toward Christ and we think about the the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ and all of those things on our mind, certainly we're centered and we're focused on Jesus. But when we walk out those doors, we're going to be distracted by everything from football games to news to, to, to reports of a, a, a crumbling economy. All of those things are going to, we're, we're going to have family members that are mad at us about something. You know, if you've got little kids, I, I remember having a great Sunday service here and Susan's parents were visiting. Well, every Sunday that Susan's parents would visit us, they always want to take us out to eat uh, afterwards. And so we go out here in the, in the foyer and my kids start having a fit. One of them didn't want this, and one of them didn't want that, and they were screaming and having a fit, and we finally just took two of them home. I won't tell you the whole story, but they both got a paddle in that day, and two of them didn't get to go to eat with the rest of the family and grandma and grandpa. They stayed home. Uh, some of you, you may have this incredible experience of worship, and you go home, and you've got a four-year-old that's having a fit, right? How do we keep focused Simply, we've got to root ourselves and ground ourselves and keep our eyes on the Lord and his word, even in the midst of all of the circumstances of life. And some of your struggles are a whole lot worse than that. You have family members that are, uh, that are in the hospital or they're struggling with cancer. You've got challenges that, that you may have a doctor's appointment this week and you don't know what's around the corner. All of those are challenges that, that, that you may face when you leave this place. And it's so easy to be stra- distracted by the things of this world. The majority of the people outside in our culture now don't believe. They don't believe God. Many of them don't believe there is a God. They deny his laws. In fact, the majority, and in fact, oftentimes the majority of all human beings live for today and live for ourselves. How do we get past that? Is it even worthwhile to serve the Lord? Or is, as these, the, the Israelites were, were challenging in this day, is God just a paper tiger, not even willing to do anything against the wicked? Is there really no difference between What's going to happen to the righteous and what's going to happen to the wicked? What's going to happen to those who believe and what's going to happen to those who don't believe? The prophet's resounding response to those questions is, yes, there's a difference. Yes, there's a God. Yes, he's given us his word. Yes, he loves us. And yes, he expects us to worship him and honor him and serve him and him alone. He has already sent to us his Messiah to save us. And his eternal kingdom, when he returns, is just around the corner. How are we going to see personal and corporate revival in the midst of a culture that's going the opposite direction? It's when we keep him in focus. When we believe his word, when we reflect on his love for us, 
We worship him with our whole heart. We're willing to to keep the promises and remain faithful to the covenants that we've made to God. When we understand that every single breath we take is a gift from Almighty God. Every dollar that you make, every step that you can take is a gift from him. I've often said and I've heard others say it, God doesn't have to give you the next, he doesn't have to take away your, your next breath for you to pass away. He just doesn't have to give you your next breath. Because every breath we take is a gift from God. The air that we breathe, the life that we have is a gift from the giver of life. And when we keep our focus on him and live life focused on him, submitted to him, walking with him, then we have hope for personal renewal personal revival, but also that that hope would spread among those around us. That's my prayer for you, is that if, if, if in any one of these six or seven different things we've talked about that the Lord has challenged you, maybe you'd have to confess, sometimes I just come in here half-hearted. Sometimes I, enter, I open my Bible half-hearted. I'm not truly giving God my whole heart. Maybe you're like the ones he called out in Malachi's day, you're robbing God. It's not that, that, that you, you, you don't understand the, the, the principles of stewardship. It's not that you're not just given the 10th. You don't even believe that God owns it, that it's his. Whatever it happens to be, what, wherever it is that the Lord has spoken to you, I want to challenge you that the greatest act of worship that you could do as we end the service is repent. Just like the song, that Ian sang before we got started. The greatest act of worship, the greatest act of praise is you could allow God's word to be applied to your heart and you could say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. And repent and turn back to following him. If you have never made that commitment to follow Christ in the first place, You've never accepted that truth that Christ died for your sins, that he rose again, that he's coming back, and he wants to offer you the gift of eternal life. You've heard that declared today. I want to challenge you to begin there. Just begin by saying, God, I believe that that you are God. I've sinned against you, and I want to be changed. If you'll start in that place, God will do a work in your heart to save you of your sin and offer you the gift of eternal life. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.